0: Welcome to the War Room here on KOKC. I'm your host Sean Fry. I'm very excited about today's guest because we're bringing on a new perspective that I I haven't gotten a big chance to talk about, or talk with rather, never on this show, never on the record at at the Parsons Sun. My guest today is Will Tunstall. He is an not only is he a Montgomery County Sheriff's police officer, but he is a basketball referee um, in, in this area. He was the this year's recipient of the National Federation of High Schools Officials Association Boys Basketball Official of the Year in the state of Kansas. Routinely does S.E.K. league games. He also runs some, some, some junior college in this area. Uh, Will Tunstall, um, a guy out of Coffinville, Kansas. Will, awesome to have you on the show. How you doing today?
1: Oh, I'm doing all right. Thank you for having me on the show.
0: We've got a sports writer of the year and an official of the year all in the same room. They're really running out of people to give awards at this point, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <they> <laughs> uh, congratulations on that, by the way. I, I know officiating can be a very, it can be a very thankless job. It can be, it is a physically demanding job. I look at some of the refs that do three, four, five games a week, a lot of times like you do, and I think to myself, man, I'd, I'd be killed over if I just did a half. So, uh, you know, Thank you for and thank you for how you serve our communities in a lot of ways, and I think we're going to dive into a lot of that on what we're on, on our show today. But I do want to start by saying thank you for how you serve our communities as, a, as an official, as a police officer, as a, as a father, as everything that you do. I'll say thank you to that and let and let you take it from there. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, let's dive right in, and we were we talked a lot before the show about how we about what we want to talk about today. Uh, I'll start out with. What we were just talking about, which is, you know, w- w- there's issues with officiating and, and kind of perspectives that I want to get from you, and so let's use a jumping off point as a as the Levette County Lewisburg State quarterfinal game in girls basketball in Class Four A in Altamont this year. Let me start by saying I don't have any issues with how that game was officiated. I think it was a, a very finely officiated game. It was also a very there were a lot of fouls called, but that was because that game was very physical. It was, you know, it was an up and down game. That game was intense all the way through. I don't think any levette County had an early seven point lead in like the first two minutes. Lewisburg got it right back down to one. And then the game never got greater than five points the rest of the way. That should and that that's that's rare in basketball. For it never to get above five on either side. That means that game was just so close. So you know, all the way through, it was a very, it was an intense game. I came back from that game thinking that's, you know, one thing I didn't mention to you in our pre-show is I was a student manager for Kansas State Men's Basketball okay. uh, when I was uh, when I was a student in Manhattan, 2010 to 2014, two years under Frank Martin, two years under Bruce Weber. Okay. When I came out of that Labette County, Lewisburg game, I thought that's one of the top ten basketball games I've ever watched, and just because of how close and how exciting it was, the stakes that were on the line. And, you know, obviously I cover Lodette County and those girls and those coaches are, are are in my community and I hurt for them to see what they went through. But I also saw just, it, it, you know, you saw the other side of it. You saw how happy and excited Lewisburg was. Right. Their fans were ecstatic. Their players were ecstatic. I believe that was their first ever state tournament appearance and they won the first round.
2: Right.
0: So you were on the crew for that game. Take me through it, what you remember about that game. Like I said, it was a very physical game. You have two state teams, so obviously the, this was a this was a high stakes game. To even get that assignment means you're one of the better refs. You expect and you're you're expecting some high quality basketball to take place even even before you ride to the gym. That's certainly what did take place. What do you remember about that game? And take me through maybe, in a game that played out like that from an official's perspective with those styles how you how you manage that.
1: So, what a lot of people don't realize is, as officials, you have pre-game meetings before. Well, we decided to push our pre-game meeting up. We probably did 90 minutes before tip-off.
0: And that's fairly early because a lot of times, I mean, it's high school basketball at the end of the day, and a lot of times, you know, high, you can only show up so early to a game that starts at you know, 6 o'clock.
1: You know? Right. So we, we set it on 90 minutes before, and we went over every possible scenario that could possibly come up. We talked about the teams because we all had seeing both teams, we talked about tendencies, we talked about players that we need to watch, how we would handle coaches, this, that, and the other.
0: You know, if you're not comfortable talking about a specific person or player, that's one thing, but give, if you can, give me one iteration of that on the Labette County side. What's a player or a tendency to watch on that Labette County girls team that that you talk about as officials in a pregame meeting?
1: Um, Just probably just how sometimes they have tendencies to be physical in the trap. But Mm -hmm. as long as they don't wall up or slap a player, we'll let it go. Okay. Um, But it's just small stuff. You just gotta pay attention to.
0: And that's very in line with how Christy Snyder coaches that group that group right now that she goes deep in her bench and she's willing to run bodies out there. She's gonna press you almost the whole probably the whole game. And you know it's in even in the half court, they they love trapping off the ball and, and flooding the strong side. Everybody kind of being over that midline and being and you know, trying to get steals out of it. She plays a very aggressive defense. Yeah. And, you know, had anybody on that crew never ref or, or not seen LeBette County that year?
1: I don't think so. I think we all had seen him. All had
0: seen him at one point. Okay. Uh, what was your takeaway when that game was over? Because, uh, like I said, it was a very exciting game from the fans and the players and the, you know, the media's perspective. You, I, obviously, like I said, I came away thinking that was one of the greatest basketball games I'd ever watched, you know, obviously with scaled to who, you know, the level and everything like that, what was the ref's takeaway?
1: Well, we, we probably, I know for me personally, I ran every, probably every whistle that I had, every foul that I had, I probably ran it through my head. And then I stayed up and watched the game film that night mm-hmm. after afterwards. So I came away with, I mean, I was there stuff we probably missed? Yes. But I just took away that, um, we just did what we had to do make sure nobody got hurt
0: mm-hmm. when you uh this year when Keisha at the start of the year at the start of winter sports came out and said no fans obviously we know what happened and that only lasted like like two weeks right I'm curious when that came out how many games did you do with no with zero fans in a stance not the two parents which I mean we had a lot of very a lot of sparsely populated gyms this year but yeah. I mean, for two weeks, we had empty gyms. I'm curious how that changed your opinion on how that changed the dynamic.
1: So on that, okay, you only, when you have fans in the building, uh, fans mask stuff that you hear from the bench. And so when there's nobody else in the gym but the players on the court, the officials, Mm -hmm. scores table, and the benches, Now you can hear everything. You can hear every derogatory word, every curse word, whatever. So now you got to make sure that you don't have rabbit ears. And me being a sheriff's deputy, I'm used to that. So I don't really, I don't, I don't take it out of
0: context. And that's, that's, that's appropriate too, because I mean, you know, players and coaches and everything, they're going to see a call and they're just going to react in the moment. They're not yelling at you, but they're just like, "Oh, that's a, that's a crap call. Or, or whatever. Yeah, I'm sure it's more vulgar at times. But right. it's FCC regulated right now. Right. In the right. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it's, you know, you're right. It probably isn't fair to tee somebody up because you're right. They would have never been heard had it not been for that environment. I am curious to think. I, I have a, I don't have a different opinion, but I have another opinion, which is I was happy to see the fans go. And partially because I'm tired of hearing fans at the gym. And I think there's a there's a misnote and I understand you're not gonna probably address this opinion, but I'll I'm I'm up front with everybody and I say, and I wrote a column about this, I think I think there's a lot of parents out there that misrepresent what the sport and what their kid is trying to do in one way or another. What and it's not just screaming at officials, although that's certainly an iteration of it. It's screaming at other fans, it's screaming at other players, it's screaming at your own players, it's Thinking your kid is LeBron James. It's and that can play off one in two ways. It, that means thinking your kid is LeBron, and then why isn't he playing the entire game? Even though really he's he would be lucky to put on the JV jersey. Or B, you, you know, your kid might be the star on the team, but because they didn't score 30, he's getting rail-he or she's getting railroaded on the ride home. I think when you take all of those different types of communities of parents and combine them, I think it's like over half of them. And so when parents and fans went away, I thought to myself, finally, I just get to go to a gym and watch basketball and do my job and not have to deal with any of that crap. I thought the saddest thing I heard was there was a kid who reached out to me on social media right when the ruling came down from Keisha about no fans. They were asking me a clarification question on it because they knew I had watched the meeting. I hadn't gotten my article out on it yet, but they asked me a question about it and I answered them and their response to me was, Great. Now I'm excited for my season. I won't feel any pressure. That's sad. That's sad for a kid to not want their parents at the gym. Yeah. And so I wrote a column that said, all right, COVID has been, a, the reason that this happened is because of COVID and COVID spread is widely attributed to adults at the time. Right. So one, that's how we can reflect on our behavior. Two, this thing is supposed to last, this fan ban is supposed to last two months let's reflect on how else we behave at games and maybe come back a little better obviously that went away in two weeks but one thing that struck me is I thought to myself man I bet officials are happy and that's kind of the joke I'm sure you heard time and time and again but I think the truth of the matter is I talked to a lot of coaches in the area every coach I t- every area that I covered in those two weeks I went up who to- had asked the game after I did my postgame interview I asked how was the officiating tonight every single one of them said that's the best that's the best I've had officiating in years. And I'm curious, is you know, does the fact that you're not getting berated by fans you may be the type of ref that can always tune that out, but refs are human. Right. And, you know, sometimes fans add to an atmosphere, so maybe you're not as direct or as communicative with a coach because you know the fans are just egging them on right now. Right. How did that affect? your ability to officiate not having fans did you feel more free and being able to communicate with coaches and 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 just officiate the game
1: oh it was kind of working two levels it was kind of different um i mean you got used to it but i i missed the fans to be honest with you because Mm -hmm. it kind of you know the atmosphere it felt like a honestly felt like a glorified scrimmage yeah um so, I'll tell
0: you who I missed their student sections. Yeah, I I miss them immediately.
1: Yeah. Well, even I mean, but some student sessions don't travel. No. On the road. So if it's a home game, but if if you have a competitive road team, then I can see it affecting them. But it's just I don't know. It was just uh, I didn't miss it. I didn't. It didn't. It didn't affect me either way. Mm-hmm. As far as an official, because I still have a job to do. Yeah. Um, but. I was more worried about being able to watch my kid play at the <laughs> at the middle school level.
0: For sure. Uh, Will, we're going to go to a quick break. Uh, when we come back, talk a little bit more about officiating, a little bit about everything else going on in life. Does that sound good to you? That's good. All right. Uh, we'll be back right back more with Will Tunstall uh, here on The War Room. I'm your host, Sean Fry. Don't go anywhere. And we are back here on The War Room here on KLKC. I'm your host, Sean Fry, joined by uh, Montgomery County Sheriff's Office Dep- Deputy... That the for, deputy, the for, deputy, deputy, deputy. county sheriff's office deputy and uh, the best basketball referee in the state of Kansas for high school, according to the NFHS, and they know more than me, uh, Will Tunstall. Uh, <laughs> Will, staying on this officiating train a little bit, I have a theory I want to run by you. Okay. And, and the one theory is, I do think the first thing I want to say is I recognize that a cause of the of the nationwide shortage we face in officials for vi- virtually all sports is very much in large part caused by the fact that officials just aren't treated well and people don't want to subject themselves to that.
1: There was a, um, there was a study out that says you lose most officials within three years.
0: I'm—that—and— not going to argue the study that's science, but like my reaction would be, even that seems long. I'm surprised they last that long half right, the time. Right, right, and from what, and, and partially because it's even worse at like youth sports, right. because you know to a degree you're all there to learn. The right. officials are there to learn to be better officials. The players are there to learn to be better players. The coaches are there to learn to be better coaches. You're not competing for a league title there.
1: I'll tell you something about youth sports. It kind of got me hooked into officiating. First time I ever put on a whistle. I called three seconds on like a, uh, I think they were like six years old. And so I didn't. You three seconds on yeah. a six year old. Yeah, so I called three seconds on a six year old, and I thought it was just the greatest call in the world, <laughs> not realizing at the time that one, it was five seconds. And then two, um, she <laughs> then they're five not even. Seconds at yeah, like, and then. The kid's not even comprehending, like what he was doing. Yeah, what he was doing wrong. So after that, I was
0: hooked. (laughs) (laughs) You come three seconds on a six-year-old, right? Which I mean, you're right, and that's, and I think that speaks to all officiating. You, You, there are games based on the level and who's on the floor that you have to officiate. You know, you hate to use the word, but differently, right? And. When you're reffing six-year-olds, you're probably letting a lot of travel go by. (laughs) But but that's the thing is everybody's there to learn. But I see a lot of parents just be awful at youth sports games. And I think to myself, you know, one, shut up. Two, you know, like I promise you don't know more than that coach. Because that coach is genuinely trying. And he probably played or coached the sport before or, 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 People who get into coaching are genuinely into the sport right. nine times out of ten. Well,
1: so let's look at it like this. Let's look at it from the high school perspective. Class 1A through class six A is referee completely different. I've ref class six A and I've ref class one A. And between there, it's different. Probably four A and up is kind of similar. So yes. But and then some some three A's depending, but everything is just it's ref totally different.
0: And give me a give me a distinction that you have between, you know, if you're refing uh Parsons Coffeeville or Parsons Pittsburgh versus if you're roughing Oswego Chautauqua. Well,
1: it's 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 not it's not any difference in the it's what it's uh, it's the athletes on the floor. Yes. Like some some guys at the lower level can play through that stuff, and then some guys can't. Whereas if you call let's say marginal contact in a six a game, we're gonna be there all night. Versus (laughs) marginal contact at a one a game that needs to be called because the game is
0: gonna get out of control. Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, I have a theory about... So, I mentioned the shortage in officials, and, you know, we talked a little bit about it. So, I have a theory about... Well, people don't realize, I think there's a negative... There's negative consequences on everything about that shortage. First off, people have trouble finding officials. Right. You know, there was a soccer game where there was, at, at Parsons High School where there was, like, a kid doing it, like, right. one of the side judges. Right. So... But, when you have a shortage in officials, that means... You know, you're less likely to regress to the mean of quality. So that means to me, the quality is all over the place. And I think when you talk about a shortage, you're gonna see about 80% of people fit into 80 to 90% of I think refs fit into this window. One, young guys that are new on there that maybe they're good, maybe they're bad. They're not very egotistical though. They're not gonna be the show of the game. They're actually there trying to do their job and do it well. And they're young. So maybe they missed some calls. Maybe they maybe they're great officials, but they're they're young guys and inexperienced. And sometimes it, inexperience inexperienced does not mean bad. Right. And then you have got there's another ten to twenty percent. I'm just pulling these numbers off my head, by right, the way. Right, so right, I don't right. know what the breakdown that right. would be. But right. That are like you. You're more experienced in the profession. You've been recognized as one of the better officials. One thing I said to you, Althea, that I'll say on the air is when I go to uh, cover a basketball game, I go to my coverage area coach. So if it's Libet County, I'm going to Chrissy Snyder and Bradley Argbright. If it's Parsons, I'm going to Anthony Houck and, uh, and uh, Pat Shibe. I almost forgot who my <laughs> girls' basketball coach at Parsons <laughs> High School was for a second. Uh, you know, and I'm going to ask them, when all three refs are on the floor during warmups, I'm going to ask, what do we think of the crew tonight? And like I told you, never has anybody said anything bad about you. A lot of coaches have very positive things to say about you. And the worst I ever get is, he's fine. Which, for some coaches, that's the best you're going to get. That right. might as well be, your, right. you're the Pope. Right, so, right, right. <laughs> uh, And there's official like that. But then there's a third category, and I think this makes up about another 40%, are... Officials who were the reasons that there's the shortage of officials, they don't care. They have their egos and their pride, that they t- and their biases that they take with them into gyms again. And I don't mean biases against school. I basically think biases against schools when it comes to officiating doesn't exist,
1: right? Because
0: it'd be very obvious.
1: Yes, it would. video now would be? Yeah, it'd be extremely
0: obvious, obvious and that would, and it's rooted out. So. And there's protocols in place. Rarely are you going to have like a Parsons native ref a Parsons game at the varsity level. Uh, but there's these, there's these officials that come in with their own egos, their own biases, and they try to run the show. And that deteriorates the quality and the trust that I think coaches and players and fans have in officials. I think they do a terrible job of representing the, the job and, you know, speaking with you off air, I know you think I, I, I. Nobody thinks everybody in their profession is perfect at it. Right. When you run, I'm curious. I've run this theory by you. I, I, I've run by what I think. What's kind of your reaction to that, and how you deal with it?
1: So, what 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 I have to remember, and then what I have to try to understand is, it is totally different from football. You have your Crews that are set in football where you might have six guys come. Well, I might work with 12 different guys in a week's time. Mm -hmm. So we got maybe an hour to get on the same page. Or if you've worked with them before, you know the familiarity with them. Mm -hmm. But the thing really comes down to is we have a system in place, and this system has been tried through Mm -hmm. countless years over. So the system works. Mm -hmm. And so you have to trust the system, not necessarily – You trust your partners, but you trust the system to work for itself. Okay.
0: Do you think... Do you agree with me that there are officials out there that bring their egos and biases into that gym and that affects the quality of a a game and how it's officiated?
1: Well, I'll say this about myself. I I think I have an ego. Mm -hmm. But I think if you want to be good, you have to have an ego.
0: I have an ego with my job, too. hundred percent. But I told you this off air, and I'll say it on air again. You know how I know you're a good ref, Will? Because, you know, basketball is my first love. It's the sport I know the absolute most about. And the dirty secret is it's not close. I know more about basketball than I probably know about every other sport combined. And I know a lot about a lot of sports. Correct. My job. Correct. But basketball is the one thing that, you know, I don't want to disparage anybody I cover. I could probably be a head coach in the CK League, and I, and I would be viewed as a good coach. At least from an X's and O's standpoint and how to manage a team. Right. I, I wouldn't be able to manage right. parents. I can't right. do that. I don't right. have that people skill in me. Correct, right. right. But when it comes to me watching the games as a reporter, I have never once seen a call made that you happen to make and thought, huh, I don't know about that call. Now, granted, I don't see every call, right. but, right. you know, I've never once thought that about you. And I've done that with good officials. There's officials I like that I get along with that I think that that about. But I've never done that with you. So to me, unless you and I knew each other, which we ended up running into each other like four times during the playoff week. (laughs) Like, it was like, for whatever your schedule was for refereeing, that was my coverage schedule that week. It just happened to line up. And so we ran into each other a lot. And so we started, you know, we got to be at least somewhat buddies at that point. You know, if that had never happened, I would, I wouldn't know your name. I wouldn't know who you are. And I I would be like, well, to me, that means you're, you must be a good ref because I never notice you. You just do your job. And I think the best officials are sometimes unnoticed. I appreciate it. So it it is, how do you balance that with, you said you feel like there does need to be a bit of an ego there. Um, So there
1: is several people
0: that I have
1: in my circle. Um, because you don't get anywhere in life without people in your circle, Mm-mm. and one of, actually several guys, and I'm give, I'm gonna give you one person by name. His name is James Cox. He's our area supervisor. Yeah, he holds me accountable, and he keeps me in check. Mm-hmm. So, my ego doesn't get too far. Yeah, I, and you need people like that, and I really appreciate him for it.
0: For sure. Well, hey, we're gonna go. We're gonna keep this conversation going. Uh, for for the podcast version of this show, as I'll start calling it. Uh, But for the on-air portion, that'll do it. So, Will, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Uh, If you want to hear more of my conversation with Will, we're going to keep talking about officiating. We're going to talk about some police matters. I'll just leave it that as a blanket statement. I know we have some some stuff to get through there. Uh, But, uh, you know, that'll do it for the on-air portion. I appreciate you coming on and talking about officiating. Uh, We've got some more to talk about. So if you want to hear more, uh, go to the KLKC website, go on Apple Podcasts, or go on Podbean. Uh, all The uh, uh, the show can be found there. Uh, but for now, that'll do it. So thank you for listening to The War Room here on KLKC. I'm your host, Sean Fry. And we're back here on The War Room on the podcast version of the show. So if you're still with us, all the FCC regulations are out the window, so it's time to get Will uh, re-invite a supervisor. <laughs> <But> <laughs> uh, that's not going
2: to happen. But <laughs> <Nah>. Uh <laughs>
0: Something you said to me that I wanted to explore a little bit is you you tell coaches and you tell people, you know, when it comes to, you know, the most obvious visible version of it it being issuing technicals or how you deal with coaches. You said, I have a line that you can come up to, but then when you cross it, it's a problem. What's that line for Um, you you as an official?
1: If you question my integrity, Mm -hmm. um, if you, if you MF me or, you know (laughs) what I mean, directed towards me. You know, you could you could probably be like, "Oh, that's a shitty call," but if you call it, man, you're a shitty official. Then that's different. So
0: I see we're letting it fly right off the rip. Right. <laughs> I love well, that's it. That's the only way can fucking go. go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: so that's the uh, that I mean that's but that's about it.
0: So, and you don't have to name them if you don't want. If you do, you can as well. Are there coaches in this area that you just don't get along with?
1: No. I will say there was one uh, former coach, but I think, and he's not—he's not coaching anymore. But mm-hmm. I think what it was with me and him was actually he made me a better official mm-hmm. because he—he he had come from a college ranks, yeah. So he knew he could see my talent, I guess, and that's how I take it, you know. He—he he could see my talent as a, guy, and then it pushed me to be better. So he was one of the coaches that could do that quite a bit, yeah. And his voice carried on the court, and so I just had to that I had to work with that to get better at it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think he made me better.
0: And you know, and to me, it's such a snowball effect, one way or the other. I think the better officials, they generally going to have better relationships with their coaches that they officiate because they're making a call. So those coaches aren't going to, they're not going to question your integrity because your integrity is good. Right. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's a cause and effect relationship there. And you're right. There, there's coaches I don't get along with, but I still have to cover them. I still have to get them in the paper and get their content in and, and get those and, you know, get that story out. And that does make me a better reporter. So I, I you know, I, you know, I experienced that as well.
1: Yeah, but coaches play mind games too. Oh, Hell yeah, they do. Um, they do
0: it with me too. You don't. You're you're singing to the choir here. Yeah, they're,
1: they're, they're, you know. But officials will too. Mm-hmm. So it goes both ways.
0: How they do you? Go- you know. How do you? Uh. How do how do you kind of manage it in the moment? Because there are coaches who are very intense. You know that 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 scream at everything just because they're intense. That's just the culture that they bring. I actually kind of like that culture. Like I said, I worked for two years with Frank Martin.
2: Right.
0: But I'll tell you one thing. So one of my favorite. One of my favorite aspects of the of the job on game days at K-State was to shoot the breeze with the officials during media timeouts. Right. I'll tell you one funny story real quick. And, you know, there was, you know, it, we had water bottles for officials. Right. So there's three officials on the floor. So we would have three water bottles at each end, at each, under each basket. And they were labeled A, B, and C. A, we would give to the, we like, us managers would decide who gets what water bottle. We give A to the guy who we thought was the biggest asshole. Right. <laughs> we gave B to the black guy or the minority, right? And then we gave C to the other one. Okay, all right. Uh, my last game at K State, my senior year against Baylor, senior night. We uh, we're you know we're doing a game, and first media timeout of the second half comes, and the black ref that game, so he had water bottle B. He comes over. And it's the first time he came over to my side the whole game.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, I give him his water bottle. And he looks at the bottle. He looks at that that green, that that green stereotypical, iconic green Gatorade bottle that we put the water in. Mm-hmm. And he looks at the orange lid, and it has the letter B on it. And he goes, I'm B on the other side, too. Is it because I'm black? And I just kind of looked at him. I was like, yep.
2: <laughs> it's easy
0: to identify. Right. I know which one to grab right away.
2: Right, right.
0: But on a, on a more serious note, First, let me say I love Bruce Weber. You know, I stick up for him right now. I know I know a lot of people think he should be fired. Right. I'm never gonna say a bad thing oh, about right. the man. Right. I one, I don't think he should be fired, and two, I'm never gonna say a bad thing about him because the guy paid for my college for two years. Right. And he employed me for two years. I we won a Big Twelve title his first year there. So I have a I have a Big Twelve championship on my resume that I get right. to play because of him. Right. So you know, I love the guy, but he's certainly more of a whiner when it comes to how we interact with officiating. And you would think officials would hate Frank Martin, but I would talk with numerous officials and they said, Frank will yell at you that maybe that next trip down the floor about a call, but then he lets it go. Yeah, he lets it go. And, but whatever will do it three or four trips and that's when he, they finally let it fly.
1: Right, right.
0: You have coaches that are intense you, that, you know, that maybe look like Frank Martin at times how do you kind of manage that as an official
1: so if so in my if you look just across the board, coaches that get on and get off quick are very successful
2: mm-hmm.
0: what yeah. do you mean by get on and get off quick
1: get on a call mm-hmm. and then get off the call because yeah. there's so many more you know in the college there's so many more plays after that mm-hmm. you can't you can't we went up four or five times you're still talking about a call six trips ago that's going to cause a problem mm-hmm. but I got we're on to the next one but i just think that officials who get on to the next call after a bad call or after you make a call that you think could go mm-hmm. you have to get on it real quick and just move on kind of like dbs you got to have a short memory
0: yeah so it, you know and that's to me that's an iteration of a, of uh, of a theme of uh, of a moral that coaches try to instill their players which is move on to the next play you know how are you gonna move on how are you gonna tell your players to move on to the next play and you're still bitching about a call that happened three mm-hmm. minutes ago right right
1: I've learned and I've gotten better at it if I make a mistake on the court I'll own the mistake with the coach you're like hey coach I missed that or hey I didn't see that but mm-hmm. I'll work harder and generally you'll get one of those but if you get like four or five of them then it's like okay that's when they start
0: losing confidence in you
1: mm-hmm. and
0: so that's another question you just kind of answered it a little bit officials aren't perfect. I would imagine a lot of calls you maybe quote-unquote miss are ones you just didn't see. And what people, I think, really don't realize about basketball officiating is it, it's hard. It's hard to see everything going on with all 10 guys on the floor at the same time. Obviously, each official is generally assigned something based on their view, based on their position. They're, they're assigned to look at something, whether it's the the ball or, or, or the paint or this part of the court or that part of the court. But and it's all whether a view is obstructed or not and that can be a tough that can be tough at times to manage because it's constantly changing you know second to second you know if you felt like you just didn't see something how do you address that and does that usually fly with a coach i'm sure that changes based on who the coach is sometimes
1: you can be too close to the play yeah um i'll give you an example i had a i just got through working the uh, state tournament then I go work a big uh, conference, KJCC conference game. And I have a grounded defender. Or in college, you have to get off, off the ground if you're inside the arc. Yeah. I have a, <laughs> a grounded defender. Same look as the other coach. Coach sit right there with me. And I know I missed the call, and he let me have it. i like, hey, coach, I missed it. You know what I mean? Well, next trip down. Same play, <laughs> and my partner has a whistle. It's the right play, mm-hmm. right call. I, I kicked it on my end, right. Mm-hmm. But now that forces, you know, because because
0: so now it's the crew is calling it correct differently. Yeah, correct, correct. And and
1: if we weren't calling it differently. You, I just you just missed it, and it I was, just happened that close. Yeah, it was it was so fast, and it was it got up on me so quick, and I didn't mm-hmm. pick it up, and I missed it.
0: Which from my from my. Uh, you know, media objective perspective, that's something like, okay, it good officials, they're probably going to let a little criticism come their way then. They're probably going to lengthen their leash a little bit right. because they know they missed it. Right. And, you know, I- I'm guessing you didn't let fly a tech in that moment. No,
1: but he ended up getting a warning. Yeah. And it wasn't for me, but it was from a partner. So, yeah, but I should have handled that. I should have handled my business.
0: Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's, you know, that's you bring up something that I you know I experience too when I have my face in a camera taking photos is you say you're too close to the play, well, you know my perspective a lot of times is somebody sometimes people will ask what did what did you see Sean like whether it was a call or a play or a, or anything they'll ask my opinion I'll be like I didn't see it because when I have my face in that camera and I'm looking through that viewfinder you literally lose sight of the bigger picture right and so. You know, I only have, my, you know, my view is a pinhole. I'm just viewed on strictly a player, almost nothing around him. And so, so it, it's hard for me to see the whole action. And so sometimes I don't see it. And, you know, I, I think basketball officiating comes down a lot to positioning. And, it, you know, it's it's an imperfect science, if that makes sense. But that that's just my take on it. Do you, uh, at the college level... At ju- you, okay, you, you ref the coffeeville men this year. Uh, for people who don't know, I didn't talk about it on the show at all. They they are the national champions this year. Sure. Congratulations to the coffeeville Red Ravens. Yep. Uh, they beat Cowley in the national tournament championship game and all Kansas Jayhawk Community College Conference championship game one. How great is that for the state and for the and just? I, I maintain to this day, I think the Jayhawk might very well be the best athletic JUCO conference in the country.
1: Well, it's I mean, if you think about. Our assigner says the Jayhawk is probably the toughest JUCO conference. If you can work the Jayhawk, then you can work at any level in college. Yeah, and that is probably profoundly true.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And I I I agree with that. I I agree that I think a lot of officials. I think a lot of, and it's not just officials. I think a lot of players. I think if you can play in the Jayhawk, you can play at any level. I maintain that. You know, there's there's certainly more. There's some that can and there's some that definitely can't, but I think Coffeeville, for example, would be a would be a solid handful of MIAA teams. I mean, that's, and that's just the players on the court. I, I think, you know, like what if Coffee? I, I, you know, I don't want to speak. I don't know enough about Pitt State to directly speak on it. But what if Coffeeville played Pitt State? I think that game would be close. I think Coffeeville would have a chance of winning it.
1: I don't know. I, it's, <laughs> if you I mean, disagree, it's, it's, disagree. <laughs> no, because it's. I mean, it's the reason why they're in my AA. Yeah,
0: it's and reason. And also, why. this MIAA is a very good D two right. conference as well. No,
1: no, it is. You know, yeah. But there's a reason why. Let's just say, for example, they won't be KU in an exhibition game.
0: Yeah.
1: It's just Correct. talent levels. Mm-hmm. At certain spots, talent talent's going to show. Oh yeah. So I'm not saying that. You know, you couldn't, but it's mm-hmm. it's gonna because. Would you say that about football? Could we say that about football?
0: Football, not as much. You're right. I definitely, I don't see it in football. I see it more in basketball and baseball and softball. And those are really the only sports. You know, some wrestlers and stuff like that. And part of that is some kids at JUCO are there because they're not eligible for the NCAA. So some of those kids really should be on NCAA rosters. They're just not. Right, right. Or, and, you know. And some coaches are really good about getting the very best kids that have to go to JUCO route, like the ones that genuinely were overlooked or just ineligible. They get all those kids that are at the very top of that spectrum, and they all go to that one school.
1: Right. Right. And I'm just, you know, it'll be interesting to see.
0: Do you have aspirations to coach like at the NCAA level or anything like that? Um, Or an NBA level? I'm I'm working towards it. I'm Mm -hmm.
1: working towards it. So just a step at a time.
0: What you know? What what would be a normal timeline? Uh, between. So, what's the highest level you coach at? Ri- or I'm sorry, what's the highest level you officiate at right now?
1: Uh, the NA, NAIA. Okay. Right
0: what is the What is the timeline or the procedure to break into the NCAA ranks? How would you How would you break into being an MiWA official?
1: So it really depends on your schedule. Okay. So for me, like I'm I'm a working on another degree congratulations well thank you a lot of people don't know that so on top of that i'm doing this i'm working as well yeah family you know it's there's past but you have to uh what's in perspective like you have to you
0: have a family too yeah yeah you got to balance all that yeah you know how old is your youngest
1: my youngest is five okay And my oldest is thirteen. He will he'll be a freshman in high school next year.
0: I want to say one thing about the college officials I interacted with when I was at K State. A lot of them, almost all, uh, there were none that when we said when that water bottle that labeled asshole that was really just who we thought like wasn't that great an official, right, right. And but again, scaled to that level, not good as a Big Twelve official. They're great. They would be the best high school official in the country. Well, see, but but here's the thing.
1: (laughs) So, and I ran across this this year more than anything because I'm, mm-hmm. i am got a half college schedule, uh, you know.
0: Very full high school schedule. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so it's like going from that level to this level to that level to this level catches up. Some, some can do both very well. But just like I told you on that grounded defender play, I knew I needed a whistle on it. Mm-hmm. I just didn't have a quick whistle on it. Yeah. Because he straddled the restricted
0: area. Mm-hmm and but but what i was going to say is a lot of those almost all, all of those officials were nice people who yeah. were easy to get along with and one you know one anecdote out of that is i remember we were we played again my senior year we played gonzaga in wichita uh at k state you know we played them in wichita we won that game and uh and then I had to go to Kansas City. It was snowing that day. And then I had to go to Kansas City, not back to Manhattan. So I had to personally drive to Kansas City for I was a stadium usher with the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. And so we played that game on a Saturday, and then the Chiefs had a game on that Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so I had to get to Kansas City. And so the refs, obviously everybody, we all knew it was snowing. And so one of the refs, I can't remember the guy. I, I think it was Higgins, like that famous guy, John Higgins. Mm-hmm. I think it was him. He, he said, hey, have a safe trip up there, man, because and I talked during the game, and I told him what was going on. And uh, he said, have a safe trip up there. It took me eight hours to get from Wichita to Kansas City that day. That's how bad the roads were and everything. Wow. I think I was going, like, maybe 15, 20 miles an hour, almost wow. the entire way. Wow. So, I mean, it was a long drive, but I made it there safely. About two weeks later, Higgins had us again in Manhattan. And first media timeout, he comes up to me and again this John Higgins rests games all across the country every day he comes to me and he goes did you make it to Kansas City safely and I, that stuck with me right because i mean he recognized just that college kid who had to make a who had to make a drive in the snow that one day and he wanted to make sure i was all right, right. and that to me that showed okay he's a pretty decent human being right and so and, and And I think it takes that kind of human being to get to that level. You have to be able to be compassionate to people. Correct. And, you know, I think compassion is a very important part of both your jobs, I'm sure. Correct. Uh, Let's talk about your other job a little bit. Let's talk about uh, your role with the Montgomery County uh, Sheriff's Department as a deputy. Okay. Let's preface everything we're about to talk to you by saying you do not speak for the Montgomery County Sheriff's Department in terms of its policies or tactics or anything like that. This is Will Tunstall speaking for Will Tunstall.
1: Correct. I do not speak for the sheriff's You, you say again. anything any, else you need to right now. Any shape, way, or form. <laughs> These are strictly my opinions. Gotcha. Uh, uh, the,
0: the disclaimer is out there. <laughs> uh, and it's a serious disclaimer, too. Because, it is. You know, every it single is. officer, person, defendant, human being is different. Correct. And so we're going to have a conversation about what you experience and you know we talked a lot before the show we talked we talked about it on you know te- you know messaging each other back and forth about what we want to talk about and then when you got here to the studio we talked about it and you know being blunt about it the, a reason i want to talk to you about it is not only are you a police officer um in 2020 and 2021 where policing has been put very much under a microscope correct you, you're you are a black man correct and you know I'll say this about the pandemic and black lives matter and everything like that. To me, they are not two separate stories. They're not two separate things. They are the same because I believe this pandemic and you know, I could, you know, pull up, you know, I could go on some website to the CDC and pull up some list and I'll gladly do that if we want. But, you know, in short, the pandemic highlighted and exacerbated inequities, that minority communities all across this country already face. It made it worse. Right. That's why, and I'll, I'll throw out once that, that was very, that it was very alarming to me, but maybe it just wasn't surprising to me, which is Kansas, the population of can't the, the black people make up about 6% of the population in Kansas. They're 30% of the COVID deaths. And, that disparity ranks in the top five. The level of disparity there is top five in the country. Correct. Kansas is one of the worst places statistically to be a black man in during COVID. Correct. With regards to COVID. Yes. And so when you had black the Black Lives Matter movement arise very much part which it had been around for years, but very much reinvigorated and, and coming to the forefront of a lot of people's conversations as a result of which we can now legally say without saying allegedly the murder of George Floyd by that officer Derek Chauvin in Minneapolis that had been brewing from the pandemic. And then but so, I, go ahead.
1: I think just my personal opinion. I think it goes back a little further.
0: Oh, it goes back to the,
1: it, to me where it all started, where this kind of this
0: whole, um, the current movement we're in right now. Yes.
1: It started with Trayvon
0: Martin. Yes. That's where I think it started. And, you know, I want to be up front in how I've evolved as a person. I still, to this day, I probably identify as conservative. Gun to my head, that's how I'm going to identify. Okay. I didn't vote for Donald Trump, and I I did not vote for Donald Trump again. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was the first time I did not vote... That was the, the 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 2016 election was the first time I did not vote for the Republican at the top of the ticket. Okay. Um that's I don't think either of that affects who I am as a person. I especially right. think in 2016 there were some very valid reasons you could have voted for Donald Trump. Right. Uh and I also don't think Donald Trump was 100% bad. I say this about every president. No president is as good or as bad as you think. I think Donald Trump was pretty bad, and I think you know the the worst, you know. And I'll say it like this: then, to me, the low point in Obama's presidency was when he pardoned Chelsea Manning, uh, a former uh, military officer uh, f- who uh, released uh, secret documents to WikiLeaks, and it caused national security issues and it emboldened terrorists. To me, that was the low point of the Obama presidency. The low point of the Trump presidency was the January 6th riot at the Capitol. And you, you've got to scale both those things. And to me, that's not right, close. Right. So that speaks where my heart is at there. right. right. When Trayvon Martin happened, I... Be- <sighs> what year was that? Do you remember at the top of your head? I think it was 2013. 2013. Okay. Around, I, I knew it was around let's, that let's, time. Let's I was, look it up to be accurate. Yeah. Uh, well, while you look it up, I, I knew I was still in college, at the time, I can't remember who was who was the who was the man George Zimmerman.
1: Mm-hmm. It was During, February 2012.
0: February 2012. That's when he died it was 2012 February. When it happened, if you asked me about it, I would have said George Zimmerman was protecting himself. Over the years, he's basically proven that he was a he was just a straight up racist. So I. I evolved on that almost quicker than I evolved on other issues because he showed that with his public actions. When he got released, he tried to sell the gun that he used and right. all this crap, and you know he got arrested for other stuff. I mean, he's he's not a good person, and that got shown. Right. And so I learned that. Right. But the whole- obviously when I – I don't mean to cut you off, and I'll let you go here in a second. When I watched George Floyd, my immediate reaction was, that guy was murdered. Right. Go ahead.
1: So for me on the Trayvon Martin thing, if you if you take, obviously we can't take color out of it, but if you took his color out, right? Mm-hmm. If, if a dispatcher tells you, hey, don't follow the guy, yeah. probably you should not
0: follow that person. You're disobeying a lawful order, uh, well, basically.
1: Not, not, I don't even know if it's not even a lawful order coming from a dispatcher, um, but she's trying to instruct you to avoid a situation that doesn't happen. Like nobody knows what happened besides him and Trayvon. Yeah. Do I think George Zimmerman got his ass whipped? Probably so. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably Because he was asking for it basically. <laughs> well <laughs> yeah, but and so you have to I don't know, you have to look at it from that. Mm-hmm. So and to me, for me, that just I have two boys. Mm-hmm. So If somebody following them and then he defends himself or whatever happens. Yeah. Is this person going to get off because it was self-defense because he got his ass whooped? Mm -hmm. Uh, Hopefully we don't have a stand your ground here in the state of Kansas,
0: but no. Stand your ground is applied very differently when it comes to race too. if If you look at that as well, George Zimmerman got off based on stand your ground, but there are there are. There are black people in this country who who do not get that same benefit of the doubt in those in the states with stand your ground laws. Yes. Even that is applied, Yes. in you know yeah.
2: inequitably.
0: Yeah, I uh, I'll, I'll ask you very broadly, and I'll let you speak on this. When you first, what was your reaction to the verdict this past week of Derek Chauvin? He was convicted on all three counts. And so, you know, by statute, he'll serve time based on that highest count, which was the or most severe count, which was uh, the second degree murder charge. Uh, based on what was your reaction to that? And I'll first kind of ask your reaction as a police officer. What was your reaction to that? And I know, like you said, you can't take out of anything, and I'm sure your answer is going to include both perspectives. That's why you're here. <laughs> but what was your reaction to that verdict this past week?
1: So I'll give you my uh, my police officer. Because there's going to be two different answers, right? Mm-hmm. I have to wear two hats. Um, the first one, as a police officer, um, I was disappointed not not in a verdict. I was disappointed in the other officers allowing it to get to that point. Mm-hmm. Whereas,
0: and they're going to face charges for that too. They had their correct. own trial.
1: Correct. So, for them allowing it, for somebody not being strong enough uh, to not realize the situation is out of control and hopefully the officers that I work with, we recognize, and I'm thankful that we haven't had anything like this in our, in our area down here, because you will see lines and fissures along racial tensions. <laughs> It'll mm-hmm. get deep. So luckily we haven't seen it. The closest thing we got was Tulsa. Yeah.
0: Yes.
1: But um, other than that, as as far as a, African American, as a black male, as a man, um, the system finally worked. Mm-hmm. After many moons of it not working in our favor.
0: Yeah. You were a young kid. You were about six or seven when Rodney King happened. That was the year I was born. So obviously, I have no memory of that. Right. Right. What do you, as a young child, do you have any memory of, of that news event happening? Not as far
1: as. Um, not as far as it... Um, Comprehending has, the gravity of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember the, the OJ thing, but <laughs> probably, when I probably, if you really think about it, I probably remember, you know, Tupac and Biggie mm-hmm. be, be, being more conscious of that situation. But I can't think of uh, a New Oklahoma City bombing in that situation. Mm-hmm. But as far as Rodney King, you didn't, because OJ was, like, right after that. So. Yeah.
0: Which, that's, there's, there's multiple documentaries that kind of explore that connection there. <laughs> right. You know, that was so know, another precursor to what we're all experiencing now. I guess,
1: I guess an easier way for me to explain it is, like, I can just tell you why I got into law enforcement. So, I had, I remember my first interaction with a police officer. And it could be totally different. And this is probably what most males that grow up in the city, black males, mm-hmm. they'll probably have this experience.
0: Where are you from originally? Are you from Coffeeville?
1: No, I'm originally from Topeka,
0: okay, Kansas.
1: So you remember the starter pullovers, the zippers, three quarter zip starter jackets? Yes. That everybody, you know, everybody had the Charlotte Hornets one. And oh the yeah, Chicago Bulls. That they re
0: released kind of, those like a year or two ago for teams, and they were hot sellers too. Right. I tried to get one for the Chiefs, and I could, and it sold out too quickly. Right.
1: So I had a KU starter jacket. Not a gang color. Not a Chicago Bulls. Not a Oakland Raiders or L.A. Kings or Dallas Cowboys. none would game Kansas colors. Jayhawks in Kansas. Kansas Jayhawks in Kansas. I got stopped
0: for jaywalking,
1: and that law
0: basically exists the profile almost at this point. I mean, pretty much.
1: Yeah, I got stopped for jaywalking on a side street. The <laughs> officer,
0: not even a main street. No, it's no, obvious no. at that point.
1: No, it was a side street. The officer told me to um, place my hands on the hood. I'm like, I'm 11. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I, now being an officer safety, as I got older, I can see the rationale of his part. Yeah. But as a 11-year-old kid at the time, I would hopefully, and I've never treated a kid like that. So, but anyway, how it stuck out to me was how he treated me on this traffic stop. I said, okay. If I get in a public service or whatever, I will never
0: treat an individual like that. How did that traffic stop end up? So you put your your hands on your hood. Basically, he
1: ran my name and all that. and Nothing came up? Nothing. (laughs) nothing, Okay. Nothing came up.
0: And I was free to go. He told me don't
1: jaywalk anymore. But I have been, and then I've been detailed, detained uh, by security guards walking across the parking lot. At a hospital, it's one in our names. Yeah. It's, it's. So when, 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 I can only speak for myself, but when I see this type of stuff or I hear about it, I know that it's real. And for, if you dismiss how a young black male is feeling, then mm-hmm. you're not, you're not understanding it. Like, you just, you know, it's, it, it's out there. It happens.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, uh, Obviously, I was very uh, moved by the by the Black Lives Matter protest that took place here in Parsons. One thing that moved me was I saw so many of the players that I cover every day there, the high schooler and college players. I saw them. Right. I saw so many of them there, right. and I realized that you know they all feel this, and it changed who I was as a reporter a little bit. I was like, right, I need to focus more on, I probably need to focus more on their lives, and I need to,
2: right.
0: you know, try to empathize with them even more. Right. But uh. And I don't mean to be sanctimonious about that. I, I'm not perfect, right. and that there are there are going to be differences of opinion right. in philosophy, right. and philosophy. And I'm sure I fall short in a lot of ways. And I'm sure, well, so I'm sure I. those kids fall short in a lot of ways too. Nobody's so, perfect. So do we all. But uh, as those protests around the nation erupted, erupted is not the right word. As sprung up, <laughs> as they came up and, and started happening. I know they had a couple uh, demonstrations in, in, in Coffeeville and in Montgomery County. I, I'm curious as to what your mindset was as a police officer at that point, because I, I would imagine to a degree you're probably aligning a lot of what the messaging of those demonstrations had to do, and a lot of that messaging had to do with policing, and you're also a police officer. I'm sure you were probably juggling a lot of different things in your mind, and I'm curious as to what, what that thought process looked like.
1: Yes, you juggle. Yes, you. You question. I would be lying to you, and I'm not gonna lie to you. I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't. Mm-hmm. If I didn't question. Everything's going on. And there's a uh, quite a few officers that I work with at the sheriff's office that that get it. That see it. Mm-hmm. That that can that can empathize. Mm-hmm. You? You're not gonna completely understand, but not to be dismissive and that's basically pretty much anything that you want now if i'm a police officer when i'm a police officer when i'm a sheriff's deputy it is rule of law Mm -hmm. through and through whether we got a kkk rally or we got a whatever you know what i mean black lives matter since we're talking and we're not equating those two by the way yeah but (laughs) since this on the line of topic when i'm in uniform i have to protect Either person
0: yeah. rights equally. I, I don't mean to almost seem super stereotypical. I have black friends. Um <laughs> have you ever seen the movie Black Klansman? No. Oh no. really good. It's a really good movie. Spike Lee's the director. I think it's his best work. Uh it's about a it's about a detective in Colorado who infiltrates the A black detective in Colorado who infiltrates the KKK over the phone, and then a white detective Portrays that de- undercover detective in person, so it's about okay. two people okay. impersonating one person over the phone. But then, like the KKK comes t- and has a rally at this town in Colorado. I can't remember the name. It's all based on real life, by the way. Like all this almost essentially happened. Right. And that black detective had infiltrated the KKK to the point that he was having phone conversations with David Duke, the head of the KKK. Right. Well, David Duke came to this rally, and that black police detective was assigned as his security detail. Hmm. And he had to protect I mean and and he had to protect him. And so and sometimes I think people do lose sight of the fact that, you know, police officers and, and law enforcement, they are taxpayer funded agencies to serve and protect. And maybe it's my pleasure as a white man that when I feel in trouble and I feel a situation getting completely out of hand and nobody's there to stop it, I'm calling the I'm calling the cops. Right because you know what I expect them to do protect me right and maybe a core value of the problem is maybe too many black men in this country and they, and in these communities don't feel that same way they don't feel the police officers are there to protect them oh but if you just yes, that's we're talking if you look at it this is a bra- that's brainstorming right now I'm not no saying, no, yeah. no 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 if you look at it right
1: as a police officer or whatever. You have to know your community. You can't just ride by in a car, you know. Yeah. You have to get out. So if you only show up to certain neighborhoods when there's trouble and they don't know you, they only know you when trouble's here. Yeah. Then they associate you with trouble then.
0: correct. Right. Do you, how do you go about, how do you go about that? What you're talking about a lot about is proactive policing, community policing. Right. Building that rapport with the relationship. Right. with the police i think an example of an officer here in parsons who does a fantastic job of that is uh officer dodds yeah I know. here in town he does a, i think yeah. he does a fantastic job yeah. of that yeah. part of that was he was the school resource officer right. at parsons for a long time yeah. so that was almost that was his job essentially was to build relationship with kids right so i, I think that was a pathway to that but he does a fantastic job with it and i right. think his model could be followed across the country right I, I think every officer should probably serve in a school at some point or another. Almost, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, um, or some sort of well, iteration of that. Well,
1: think about it like this. I think, just me personally, I think if you're going to work, if you're going to be a police officer, I think you should have to work in a jail setting before. Mm-hmm. because this teaches you how to use your verbal judo, how to talk to people. You know what I mean? Yes. You can't just always, you can walk away from a situation, but you'll have to deal with the situation. It's, yeah, not like, it's not going away. It's not like, okay, I can arrest you. I can throw you in the car. We maybe got three, four minutes together. And then I'm done with you until I see you in court. Yeah. Whereas in jail, if you're in a jail setting or a prison setting, you're with this person for eight hours, possibly. Yeah. Don't see you at nine
0: tomorrow.
1: <laughs> right. So, but other than that, um, but, it also falls on. I think I have a uh, my department is great. Mm-hmm. I mean, they allow me to. I coach track and field. Yeah, they allow me to officiate. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, I wouldn't be able to do any of this without. Yeah, my higher ups
0: being cool with it. How much does poli- being a police officer affect your officiating, or officiating affect your police officer? You know, I think the the type of temperament that's required in both those professions can can align very. Easily, it's easy to see how one could lead to the other. Well, they're both look, positions of authority, basically. Well, well,
1: yeah, I look at it like this. All right. so when I'm when I'm a police officer, when, I'm, when I got my uniform on, my sheriff's office uniform, those rules, those uh, regulations, those scenarios, could ultimately take somebody's life. So mm-hmm. it's a way more serious than yeah. me blowing a bad call.
2: Yeah,
1: in a in a league game, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, like it's not it's not the same pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I try to I try to use both of them because I think I have an even kill temperament. Yeah, I try not to get too I try not to get too high. I try not to get too low. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that goes with how I was raised and my background and all this other stuff.
0: Yeah, Got a lot of people. What were your? What were your, you said you were raised well? What were your parents? What did they do?
1: So my mom, she retired. Both my parents are retired. Uh, my mom retired. She worked for the state uh, with a bunch of attorneys. So <laughs> I'm pretty legal savvy. Yeah. And then my dad retired from the military.
0: What so, branch? I uh, was army. Okay. So so yeah, my yeah. dad was Air Force. I know I told you my dad was in the military. My dad was Air Force. Right. So we're both military brats. Right. 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 And and I think that does come with a certain. And my mom was a nurse, too. And, you know, my parents are divorced now, and they're both remarried. But I will say...
1: And my parents got divorced, too. So.
0: I, I believe... A, and that was very hard on me as a kid. But I, I, I very much value the fact that my mom was a nurse and my dad was in the military. Because th- no matter my political views or maybe my opinions on policies or anything like that, I think I do my best to be compassionate and protective in certain scenarios and circumstances and, and, and with people with people I love and people I trust and and with the community as a whole uh, and I think that makes me a better person I'm not like I said not perfect at it I certainly I I have a temper issue at times and,
1: I think I probably think the biggest thing and I credit
0: both my parents for this is
1: I I have never heard my mom or my dad say anything negative about each other and you know how hard that would have to be
0: for divorced parents. I can't even say that about my own parents. Right. Sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> but, you know, but but I mean, but yeah. you know what I
1: mean? Like, so I got to form my own opinion about each of them.
0: Yes. Yeah, based on your relationship with them. Right. And that's a. So. And I think that's a lot of thing, not even. That's rare, even for. That's rare for rich white families. <laughs> but, I mean, they're probably worse at it at times. I mean, right? I, you know. That's you know. But I mean, they
1: both. Did, I mean, obviously, they both did well for themselves. So, yeah. I mean, it's just know. one of those things
0: where, you know, that's a. Uh, you know, I, I think. You know, that's part of just providing a unified front and right. not turning one kid against the other. That's a, and that's that's good parenting. Right. You know. I I. I I wanted to ask you about Chauvin again and you know because I asked you about the verdict and I know your answer is going to be similar and you know but I want to ask you personally you said it took you a while to watch the video and you've only, and you've seen snippets of it of the, of George Floyd and Derek Chauvin what did you feel when you watched him and I know one of your first thoughts was to when you watched the the chauvin kneeling on George floyd's neck and I understand you maybe your your first thought was to the what are the other officers doing what what the hell is going on right you you also watched you watched a murder I mean we could say that legally now but you watched a murder right. what did you feel a murder committed by a police officer
1: that I mean he I mean everybody knew he messed up Mm-hmm. if you're if you're wearing his uniform you know he messed up. there is no ways around it that mm-hmm. he's messed up and so that made you question the tactics that you probably used in the past or policies and procedures mm-hmm. but you know he messed up I mean taking somebody's life as a police officer is the last thing that you want to do mm-hmm and so for that to, for in my opinion, for that to get to that point, um, that's that's pretty
0: extreme. I want to say something. I, I don't know what's in Derek Chauvin's heart. I'm not defending Derek Chauvin in any way, shape, or form. But I want, and you know, and I'm not even really speaking directly on Derek Chauvin, but he may be the most racist person on earth and maybe he, and all that. Certainly, what he did had a racist out had an outcome that is racist because it disproportionately affects black by a police officer. Right. I'd like to think if that even if he looked the right way, he still saddened that he took a human life. I can't imagine that's easy, and I can't imagine making that choice. And. Well, again, I'm just spitballing here.
1: So, I'm gonna. Say and again, something. I'm not defending Derek Jones. No, 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 no. So I'm gonna say something. And this is. This is how I really. This is just as real as it can be. I'm not defending his actions or anything like that because I wasn't there. And yeah, so how I look at it as, if either I am going home, or I'm going to sit in a jail cell. If I if this comes down to a use of force situation, I'm possibly going to be involved. Either I'm going home or I'm going to jail.
0: You're not dying. Oh, no, I'm not dying. And I'll say this: another police officer in Montgomery County, not with the Montgomery County Sheriff's Department. That basically leaves only two more at that point. But you know, there's three. What? There's three. Three agencies. It would be Indy Coffeeville and who else? Caney. Caney has one. Okay. Um. So it would. Well, like that revealed it wasn't Caney's then, because <laughs> I didn't know that one existed. So it's not Caney either. Right, <laughs> but, right, right. Uh, But an officer within one of those two city agencies actually told Four, me, I'm sorry, Cherryville. Cherryville does have one, not there either. <laughs> yeah, 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 one of the. I better know. Yeah, I better know
1: everybody in my county. Yeah, that's so. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> Cherryville's is really small. If I, if I, aren't they like maybe ten people at most or something like that. Yeah,
1: I think, uh, think Kane and him are about the same size.
0: Yeah. Anyway, point being, an officer there that I was, you know, having a similar conversation with. They're not black, but they are a police officer. Uh, they said the exact same thing shortly shortly after the Derek Chauvin mur- uh, murder, but before, obviously, well before the trial, right. which was, you know, I'm going. They didn't say I'm not going to. A, I'm going to a jail cell, but they said I'm going home you know, to my children, to my family. And, you know, they took me through a scenario. Well,
1: another reason why I say that, because if you do something wrong, you yeah. know what I mean? If it, if it comes alive. out as a, a wrongful shoot, you're either going to jail. Yeah. Or you're going to go exactly.
0: home. Exactly. So. Yeah. And, you know, th- this officer took me through a scenario where they had their gun pointed at somebody that had a weapon on them. And they told me had that person lunged at them at that moment, it was inside a it was inside a house, like they were in the kitchen or something like that. Had that person lunged at them, they would have fired. And I'll say this, I, I don't I think very few people on this earth are psychologically trained or physically trained to handle that moment right there. No I can't imagine dealing it dealing with it in that circumstance. I can't imagine being in that scenario where I'm trained enough to know. When to protect my life, that to read a situation to know when I'm about to fire a gun at somebody. I'm not trained for that. Um, I have, um, if you've been shot
1: at before, it changes you.
0: Uh, I assume you have, if you've mentioned that. Yeah, so I have before. Have if you not, don't, not on duty, not, not on, on duty, not on duty, long time ago. How does that take me through how that changes you?
1: Uh, well, let you know that you're mortal. Yeah. Um, but were you, just, did you get hit? No. Okay. No, no, no. No, it was in a youthful experience, but but it changes you. And so I don't know.
0: It just changes you. Does it change your view on the power and the fear of, of, of guns and lethal force? Does it make you more or less likely to kinda of pull that trigger in an officer? I mean, I don't what is how does it change you?
1: No, it um it makes you Well, for me it made me um just realize how short life is mm-hmm. thing can happen um but as a you know when you when you decide to wear the uniform you know that that's a positive like every time I okay I'll give you an example every time I put on my uniform I feel like I'm putting on my putting on my suit to get in the casket
0: do you genuinely feel that
1: yeah. and I it's but it's, it's deep mm-hmm. it's deep in the back like Every time I put this uniform on, this could be the day. Mm -hmm. Some people you don't. Some people don't have that with their jobs. Yeah, you know, maybe firefighters. You know, but it could be the day. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Every time you put this on, this could be the day. Mm -hmm. And so
0: you got to put that in perspective. And and I will say this: it's almost. I think some of that perspective has been lost in a lot of the conversations that we're having. You know, how do we improve accountability while respecting the, the the true risk that police officers do take every day of their lives, and h- how do we balance that? But at, at the same time, I don't want to get away from the fact that there, and I want to say this It's probably more pervasive, and I think some of the larger police departments, and part of that is because you know Derek Chauvin is not going was never going to be able to meet everybody in India in Minneapolis right. and have a perfect community policing you know right. approach. Right. There's too many people. Right. it's just impossible at that point. Right. The a lot of the perspectives and the strategies that w- we want imposed on a national scale, th- they're way easier in Parsons and Independence and Coffeeville because there's just fewer people. You you know a lot of the kids growing up in your community. So if you happen to run into them during a stop when they're 17, 18, 19, 20 whatever, you have a prior relationship with them. That's going to be so seldomly true in Minneapolis. Yeah. And I I, 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 you know, did, I, okay, so I guess maybe I'll, the question I would ask then is, you know, how long have you been with the Montgomery County Sheriff's Department? Since 2011. So that would be about 10, you were going on 10 years now, about 10 years. You, you know, you probably met a kid when he was 11, he or she was 11. And maybe by the time, and then I'm sure maybe you ran into that kid last year or this year during a stop. And, so and was, I'm just giving a so hypothetical. I, yeah, so I'll say this.
1: I'm not going to say their names or anything like that. But I have seen probably four kids that I've known, like really known. I just... yeah. I just knew they, who they were. I've had to take them to prison.
0: And that can't be easy. And I think I would imagine that the weight of that makes you a more objective police officer,
1: Correct. And it's regardless of mm-hmm. color. Colors even. Yeah, I've taken because I used to. I used to be a uh, before I got into law enforcement. I used to be a ISS teacher. Mm-hmm. So, I, uh, but it's it was. So I had these kids in this class and yeah, that's where they had to go later on down life. And I think a lot of it is, you know, everybody, everybody, I think it's more socioeconomical than anything. Yes. Money, 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 Mm -hmm. money makes a big difference in how you live. Oh yeah. So I think, you know, I think, that has to do with more than, I'm not going to say race doesn't play an issue, but when you have money, certain yeah. certain, certain doors are open to you.
0: Oh, absolutely. I want to say this. So, I, you know, th- they both kind of go hand in hand to me. I think you're right. Socioeconomic status, I think, plays a lot into inequities across all the spectrums, not just how police interact with you, but, you know, across all spectrums of life. And financial inequities are when you really take race into it, because because you know black people and people of color disproportionately face more uh, financial hardships than than white people do. Correct. Well, that's a, that's a well how you're treated by police is a byproduct of that.
1: Correct. But if you look back through history here in the United States, law enforcement has been used to enforce mm-hmm. just laws and unjust laws. It was mm-hmm. used to enforce segregation. It was used to enforce, you know, runaway slave acts or whatever. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's been used. People in power have used law enforcement the way that they want to. Mm
0: -hmm. Do you, uh, do you ever find yourself? And I know we might be veering to policy a little bit, so just shut me down if you're not comfortable. But do you ever find yourself policing activity that you don't? feel like should be policed the way it is. And I guess if we're going to be just franking up front, you know, uh, uh, something as common at least, regardless of anybody's opinion, something as common as minor weed possession.
2: Okay. Go
0: ahead. Is I mean, one officer told me that, I remember one police officer told me that I-, I wish weed was legalized, not because I want to use it, or not because I think it's the best thing in the world, but because i i'm tired of diverting my time and resources to it well i think i can make a you know there's other things i wish i could devote more time to
1: so you could okay so i could just give you an example um
0: and that was like the best argument i ever heard for weed legalization i was like wow like (laughs) yeah i don't honestly i don't have an issue with it um
1: if it was legalized, it'd probably generate more revenue for the state, as uh-huh. it's I mean, it's yeah. shown it's generating revenue for Oklahoma, it's generating revenue for Colorado. So mm-hmm. why not? Why are we not on board with it yet? Yeah. Um, but meth is totally
0: different. Meth is totally different. <laughs> totally different. It, it ruins lives. It is a I mean, you will you can die from it on one dose. Right. And right. you know, that is you you we're not about to equate that. That right. is a different animal. I mean, when, Meth when, should be policed. Well, and when <laughs> when and it's a big problem in this community in in this area. When 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 the federal government
1: and the states learn how to tax, properly tax marijuana, it will be legal.
0: You're probably right and I think we're getting there. I think we're getting there. I'll say I wonder if I'm about to get fired right now. Probably about once a month I I, I use marijuana. I usually main, use it to help me sleep. I don't know why. why would you get fired? I don't know. <laughs> I'm an admitted drug user now, and I said it to a police officer. Man, not, I must have.
1: But it's not my jurisdiction. <laughs> you know, I really don't. I really don't care. I mean, it's, that's that's but, that's whatever you do.
0: But think about that, like everybody who's known me and whatever opinions you have of me i think there are a, there's a sizable portion of the population in this community that thinks i do a good job and thinks i'm a good person sure. there's a sizable portion that would like sure. to see me dead i'm sure too but you know uh, but it goes both ways yeah there's people that love me that i, I we does not we should not change that and you know i i'm also not one of those people that thinks yeah legalize marijuana cuz it cures cancer and it does all this crap not really. I think people that sit around and smoke pot all day are lazy. Mm-hmm. And you should be out doing more with your life. Right. But, you know, when, when I have trouble sleeping, for whatever reason it is, part of it is, I. so I, I, I got COVID in mm-hmm. November, and I, I've had heart problems and trouble sleeping really ever since. It's gotten a lot better because I got put on just some basic heart medication. I'm talking like, you know, Prilosec, stuff like that. I you know, started taking that, and it helped. So, so what are
1: you doing to... What are you doing to uh, take care of yourself?
0: You talking about physically or mentally? Both. Mentally, I struggle with that at times. And I think that's why, you know, I had a very, you know, I don't want to say I had a hard time last year because that's unfair to a lot of people who had a lot harder time because I I stayed employed. I was very blessed to have stayed employed. I had more of an identity crisis because I had to be a news reporter. We stopped, we essentially stopped the sports page for two months when the pandemic hit. That's why I covered the Black Lives Matter protest because I was working. And I would have never covered that as a sports reporter. I probably would have been there. I probably would have been participating. But, you know, it's a, uh, last year I struggled mentally, but at the same time, I also took a lot of strides. I lost some weight. I put some of it back on. I got kind of my finances in orders, you know, and to me it's like, you know, and maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just white guilting the shit out of it, but, you know, like, to me those stimulus checks were finally, I, I can finally kind of get out from some bills that you know, I had been working for for the past year just to kind of improve my finances a little bit. Well, those stimulus checks just fast forwarded it. Right. Like progress that was a year down the road was now done oh, because yeah. of that. Oh, I wish. And then another stimulus check, okay, I got a, okay, I went and bought a grill. And then the third stimulus check came and it's, Okay, well, now I got a nice camera and everything like that. Well, I know for a lot of people, those stimulus checks, for people who are unemployed because their jobs were lost in a pandemic, they they needed that to put food on the table. And so it's unfair of me to be like, yeah, I struggled too because I couldn't go cover sports. But, you know, mentally has always been a battle for me. I have, you know, mental health issues. I think everybody does to a degree. Nobody's life is perfect. And we all struggle with our own demons. And I do my best physically I, I try my best to get eight hours of sleep a night. You know, it's a. Uh,
1: I wish I get eight hours. I never
0: get eight hours. I won't when I finally get a family. I'm sure that's the beauty of being a single bachelor at 29. Is no, like, well, but
1: <laughs> yeah, but but even with that, you no, I, I'm lucky to get during the
0: season. I'll probably get six. No? I think the best thing I do for myself mentally is. I try to be who I am at all times. Right. I'll ask you the same question. What do you do? Me- what have you done mentally to take care of yourself really over the last two years or so? Cause cause like you said, you've been juggling, we've, we've had all these, everything we've talked about over the year. I, I know you sit at home and think about it. How have you taken care of yourself? So for
1: me, um, I learned early in my career. I had a mentor. He told me, um, He said, you got to learn how to separate your work from your home when you're in law enforcement or it's going to eat you alive. You can't take everything home to your family, but you can't bring everything from your family to work. Mm -hmm. So, I've tried very hard not to let those lines cross, and it's a struggle at times, but, you know, you try not to blur them.
0: You know, a lot of my friends obviously are, are coaches or former players in this area, so it's hard not for for me the, for that those areas to blur a little bit. Right. And I'm sure it's impossible for you too. Right. You know, it's right. you know it's that's the the that philosophy pushed to an extreme is borderline impossible and almost unhealthy if pushed to an extreme. But you're right; you do need to compartmentalize a little bit. You'd be surprised how frequently when I hang out with my friends who are coaches or former players or whatever that we. Don't talk that much about maybe the sport they coach.
1: Right. Okay. So I'll give like you
0: a, we, we, we're, we're talking about the Chiefs or we're talking about w- whatever. So I, I we, that's, you, that's how we kind of separate it. So I,
1: okay. So I'll give you an example. I have lived in Independence probably nine years, 19 years, whatever. Mm-hmm. I probably didn't go to, uh, what is it? Not Turbo's. What's the other one? Uncle Jack's mm-hmm. car. I probably didn't go there for
0: the first seven years. Mm-hmm. I've never been there. so You know what I mean?
1: But and then yeah. I came over here to, the first time i ever been over here to the one right down the road here. Kitchen pass? Yep. Didn't yep. even know nothing about it.
0: I go there like three times a week for lunch. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know what mean? Didn't cause know cause no I mean? Because I work about right over there and the kitchen pass is right there at yeah. my lunch spot. Yeah,
1: so, you know, but... I don't know. You're all, I'm always hyperventilating because I always feel like I'm going to run into somebody that I have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And most of the times, it was... It was over. It was overdue. Like I used to, I used to go in the stores or whatever. I used to always sit with my back to the door and all that, and I would never, I could never just relax. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of learned to just relax. A little what do you more. mean back to
0: the door? What's that? So when I'm
1: sitting in a restaurant, okay, I always sit with my my back to the front the, door. No, no, my back was. I could always see the door. Oh, okay, okay. You know, what I, mean? I could always see who's coming and going and all that. Mm. And so that's very, you know, if you. If you're dating somebody, or if you're married to somebody in law enforcement, you you'll have to get used to that. Yeah, you know. And if they grow out of it, then you know it makes it easier.
0: But again, I don't mean to equate the two. But I remember I was dating a girl in college. This is how I can't separate sports from my life at times. Is I was I was dating a girl in college, and it was twenty It was twenty. Uh, yeah, it was twenty thirteen. Uh, the winter of twenty thirteen. So early in the year, it was the year we won the Big Twelve mm-hmm. at K State, and a big reason we won the big 12 that year it was because we tied with kansas and mm-hmm. so in the regular season they just grant both teams the big 12 title right and we get and kansas swept us that year they beat us twice but the reason we were able to tie with them was because early in that year they lost to a really really bad tcu team right like a tcu team that was their only win in conference play that whole year 18 games of conference play their only one win They only won three games that year. They were terrible. They were terrible. Their one conference win just happened to be against KU. It was a huge upset. I remember ESPN came out and said, like, according to its RPI rankings, that upset was greater than any one sixteen game in the tournament up to that point. Right. Now, a few years later, obviously, we saw uh, Virginia get beat by uh, UMBC. But anyway, so— Flashback to that KUTCU loss. It was on a Monday. I remember that game explicitly because it because of who I was dating and everything. So, I was. It was on a Monday night, and I was dating a girl, and she was in a, I forget her major, but it was a very labor intensive major, right? Compared to journalism, mine was. I'll admit, mine was not that labor intensive. Right. So, she. For whatever reason, she was in a really big kind of crunch for her major. And I think we had had two road games the previous week. So right. her and I hadn't even seen each other for like a week and a half. Right. So we said, okay, hey, let's have like a dinner date at Texas Roadhouse in Manhattan. And I got right. there like 30 minutes before she did because she I think she was coming out of a test or something like that. And so I got there about 30 minutes early, specifically because I wanted to just watch some basketball and unwind for the day. Right. So I sat down in the booth. And the KU TCU game was on, and it got through most of the first half. When by the time she got there, and TCU was winning, right. And so I'm sitting and watching the game, and then the second half starts, and TCU is still winning, and the game just keeps going on, and TCU just, just staying in the lead. And obviously, the the fact that this could be a major upset is becoming more and more apparent. And, you know, my girlfriend at the time goes, you know, Sean, can you? We haven't seen each other in a while. Can you actually kind of stay in the moment? Can you be pay attention? Right. And I keep kind of saying like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm sorry. I'll focus on her for like a minute. and Then I go back to the And then <laughs> I'm like clearly like slowly right. shifting back to the game. Right. And eventually she finally kind of called me out on it. And she didn't make a scene, but she called me out. And I remember it was like the last media time out. I went to commercial and I looked at her and I said, babe, you're right. I'm not paying attention to you as much as I should. We haven't seen each other in a while and I'm sorry. Can you let it go to watch the end of this game. <laughs> And you just right. let it go. <laughs> and we didn't make it another month after that. It was a fairly amicable breakup. I don't. It's not something I think about to this day. But I thought that was, you know, <laughs> I almost don't regret it. And maybe I should regret that. <laughs> but I remember thinking, like, I'm glad I watched something that ended up helping us get a Big 12 title. Great. But I'll admit, too, it's hard for me to, it is hard for me to take. To not take the job home with me, partly because right. I live alone. So, what else am I going to think about? Right. 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 But, you know, when I'm dating somebody or something like that, if something happens at work that I, that just pisses me off at one reason or another, it, you're right. It's going to be hard for me not to, you know, bring that to some degree. Right. And, you know, you say you always used to sit with, you know, facing the door so you could see who was walking in. Do you not do that anymore? Are you willing to not see the front door?
1: Uh, depends on where I'm at. <laughs> depends on where i'm at honestly it just depends
0: on where i'm at okay so let's uh you know are you more comfortable in montgomery county not facing the door or are you more comfortable like in wichita not facing the door
1: no would be definitely be outside of my
0: okay county now if you go outside your county not everybody's going to know you as a police officer whenever you go outside your county do you feel like you get treated a little differently
1: what do you mean like on the traffic stuff what do you mean like if traffic I get, stop walking, around, uh, walking okay. around a convenience store anything oh yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah you do
1: you but know but it but it happens i mean it could happen in the county people don't know you they don't know if they don't see you you know put the name yeah. with the face you
0: but know there happens. was. you know i remember you you said you mentioned it in passing earlier in the show you said you know you got stopped in a parking on a hospital parking lot a security guard just wanted to know your name well my what I went through my head when you said that was you should have said officer Tunstall.
1: <laughs> right no i was that that happened when i was uh when I was, when I was a youngster. Okay. Yeah. But
0: like you know, if that happened today, that would be my. I would tell you that should be your answer. That should be my answer. Yeah. Is Officer Tunstall
1: just 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 name drop my badge on the <laughs> Yeah.
0: Would you do that? I mean, would is, you know, that that badge courtesy or whatever? How much do you, have you ever relied on that before?
1: I'm not gonna say I relied on it, but it's a courtesy that exists. Well, it's a courtesy that exists, but. I don't know what cop doesn't carry when they're not on duty. Mm-hmm. Like, so if I got a gun with me, I'm a hey, there's a gun in the car, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Way to bring the temperature down. Because he don't know. Officer don't know yeah. me at all. You know what I mean?
0: And it, what's funny to me is that's almost like a de-escalation technique that you're using on yes. the other end. Yes. You, one, one thing you said earlier, you said, you know, cops, you know, you think they should work in a jail setting first because it teaches them verbal judo. Right. To me, that's a... That's just another way of, uh, that's just a fancy term for a de-escalation technique. Knowing how to talk your way out of a situation rather than using force, whatever right. that force might be.
2: Right.
0: Take me through an exa- a very basic example of that. If, you know, I'm, if, I, if I'm, if I'm having some sort of dispute with somebody in like a drugstore, how are you showing up and using some verbal judo? with to to defuse that situation. I don't mean to put you on the spot. You are putting me on the spot. I am putting you on the spot.
1: What the show's for. <laughs> well, we, We're in a drugstore. You said, right?
0: Like yeah, we're at Walgreens and some guy for for whatever yeah. reason.
1: So why are you being mean to the lady at Walgreens?
0: <laughs> <I'm not laughs> you
1: know what I mean? Like why yeah. are you being mean to the lady at Walgreens? Um one I um, don't I don't know. My mind is not I'm
0: not at work, so my mind is kinda Okay, so let me uh the reason I brought up that example is something very similar happened to me once. I was at okay. Casey's one time and it was that night I was, was getting, it here? Like, what? Was it here? Here, yeah, okay. here in Parsons. All right. And I I think I was just getting a slice of pizza or something. And I'm trying to think of what led to the dispute. You got into dispute with somebody over a slice of pizza? No, 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 not over a slice of pizza. <laughs> See, now you're making me sound like an ass. <laughs> I remember what. Okay, so it was after, it was shortly after the pandemic had come out. So this so was everybody, probably everybody's very wound up. Very yeah, everybody's wound up, and it was very early April. I was super cognizant about social distancing. <laughs> well, these people...
1: I'm not laughing at you. I'm I know. Oh, you. hell yeah. I'm laughing with
0: you. <laughs> and everybody's wound up about everything. And so I'm being cognizant about su- social distancing. That's how I'm paranoid.
1: So there's somebody cough and you looked at them like they're crazy.
0: No, they came right up behind me as I'm... They came right up behind me as I'm checking out. And I'm like, can you back up off me? <laughs> and all of a sudden... And it was a woman. And yeah. then all of a sudden, like, her band comes. And all of a sudden, it just goes straight to an 11. Right. Everybody's yelling at each other. The guy shoves me. Right. And so I called the police. You're shoving back? I, I, I'm i not a fighter. I guess I'm not. And mainly because, I, I don't know. There's, I, I'm not a fight. But so you've never, because I you never, been,
1: you never been in a fight before in your life, ever?
0: I've been in a fight. I actually did fairly really well in one of my fights. So then... Yeah, okay. But you, you, part of it, too, is I'm constantly running through my head. on the sports writer. I'm the sports writer in this town. I want to keep this job. I, 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 trust me. I, I get you. Yeah. I get, I get it. I get I, it. I, you know, I get it. whether it's fair or not, I always feel like, I, to a degree, I'm representing the Parson's son. No, I get it. You know, so. And just like you're always representing the police department, whether it's your own opinions or not, you, you know. Whether
1: I'm on duty or not. Yeah. Yeah. I have to be
0: so, cognizant. Uh. And part of it was, he shoved me, I kind of walked back, and he didn't pursue me. Had he pursued me after that, I would have, that's when it goes out the window. So, uh, but but Casey's called the cops. They got there so quick, by the way.
1: Well, that happens a little quicker in the city versus the county.
0: Yeah, and part of it, too, is I'm sure if you get a call from Casey's, that could be like an armed robbery or something like that. They're trying to get there quickly to defuse it. And they did a fairly good job of defusing this. They did a good enough job of defusing the situation to let me get out of there, because I told the police officers, I just want to leave. I just want to I just want a clear path because they were standing in front of the door. The 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 people that got into it, me with it. They were standing in front of the door and I said, All I want to do is leave. I don't care if you charge them or not. I, I just wanna leave. I just wanna get out. And they kind of did a good job of getting them outside and getting them away from my car. And then I left. I was like, oh, I'm out of here. So why would you
1: why would you call the police if you just want to get I out didn't call them? the
0: police. Casey's did. The clerk
1: did. Well, did you want to press charges? I did not. Did you want them to call the police? Because you because you did say you called the police.
0: I I think I, I I'm trying to remember if I said, "Are you going to call the cops or something okay. like that?" Right. Or I might have said, "Do I have to call the cops?" Right. And then I think that probably triggered the Casey's court to do it. Right. 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 Um. How right. would you have handled that? I mean, it seems like those cops, at least to me, did a fairly good job of handling the situation. The guy was yelling constantly, though. The guy who shoved me. He was just yelling the whole time. It seemed like he could not be calmed down. And I'm curious as to how you as a police officer, you talk about verbal judo and talking away out of it. I'm sure you have to deal with that with coaches as an official to an extent, too. Using some verbal judo to just diffuse the situation and keep the game moving. Right, right. How do you approach that?
1: Um. Well, one, you have to... You have to recognize what the issue is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, in, in y'all's situation, we're, we're at the store. Typically, we don't want people together when we're talking to yeah. people because then it do not do too nothing. much cross. Too much cross. So, obviously, in that situation, as you described it to me, we really don't want to take anybody to
2: jail. No.
1: But if we have to, we will.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the best thing is to get everybody to come back down?
0: Yeah. And you're right. I didn't want the guy to go to jail there. That's not what I was hunting there. Mm-hmm. I was hunting a, a safe now, path you said, out of that store.
1: Uh, now, if you said, hey, I want to press charge on this guy, then
0: he'll probably have to go to jail. Yeah. And I'm cognizant of that, and that, that's why I, you know, the cop asked me that and I said, no, I just want to leave. I just want to get out of here. I just want to get out of here safely to my car with my slice of pizza so I can go home and, right. and play my Xbox. <laughs> right, right. But uh right. You know, we we've, we've been talking a long time. We've talked a lot about you know, we've been talking for almost an hour and a half over an hour and a half now. Uh You knew you were coming on earlier this week when I invited you onto the show. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to say? Anything I, we didn't directly address that as you were thinking about all the things we could possibly talk about, officiating, policing, everything like that, anything we didn't directly address that you wanted to say coming on? Yes. So.
1: Um, By the I way, have...
0: that is the last question. And it, it's, uh, something similar to that is the last question I ask every coach, every post game is, anything I missed, what do you want to say? And a lot of times that's when I get the best content. So I feel like I'm about to get something good here.
1: No, you are. So, um, I am on the advisory board for officials and this, that, and all the other. And one thing that they ask is, obviously, with shortage of officials, how do we get more officials out there? So, I would encourage people that want to get into it, just register or reach out to Mm -hmm. an official that you know, a local official that you know, and try it. Just try it for a little bit, and once you... Go up and down the court a couple of times. You'll see it's it's totally different. Yeah, it's it's very you're multitasking.
0: So it's it's I would encourage people to register. Yeah, you know, so, well, it was uh,
1: if they have a negative opinion on officials.
0: Yeah, do it, and that's what I tell people too. That's you know I don't like telling people that because you should be, I should as a journalist be you know open to criticism. Right, but sometimes when I'm just short on patience people that criticize me and I know they're just being dumb. Right. I'll be like, you want to come and do my job? <laughs> right,
1: right, right. No, man, and I get it. Um, you know, I will be in the stands watching my son go forward. But I do know my voice is going to carry more <laughs> if I start barking at the official because they're going to be like, wait a second. I know You're him. supposed to be on my side. <laughs> right, right. So, um, and it's been Actually, it's been pretty fun. So yeah. I, got, I got to work on a little bit mm-hmm. with, with him uh, doing travel ball and
0: tracking and all that stuff. So. One thing you said <laughs> off air is you, you, your schedule is mostly college next year, partially because your your son's going to be in high school and you're going to want to watch him play. Yes. So we're not going to see you near as much at the high school level anymore. No. Which that is unfortunate for me because I enjoyed getting to know you over this year and seeing you at games. And, and like I told you, I told you this at that Labette County-Lewisburg game that we started this show talking about. Right. And I genuinely meant it, which is anytime you're on the crew of a game, I know that game is probably going to be officiated better because of it, and I know that game is probably, it's probably going to be a clean game, at least on that side of the that side of the game. And I'm appreciative of that as someone who loves basketball. I hate when it comes down to officiating. No,
1: I, I am. Or I hate
0: when officiating makes a tangible impact on the game, if that no, makes
1: sense. I, I am still going to register. I'm still going to be a registered official. I just won't have as many
0: dates. Yeah, yeah. But I will.
1: If anybody wants to, help, if anybody needs help, I'm my phone's always open.
0: Sweet. Uh, any advice? Any advice to coaches on how to interact with officials before we before we head out?
1: Um, I would say,
0: and like to new coaches,
1: to new coaches, yes, because we're going to have a new coach in the league. It's right. Griffin Walker, not a coffee bill. it
0: would be exciting for that program.
1: It's going to be exciting. should be. Should
0: what's should what's be. your advice to Griffin Walker on how to interact with officials in this area?
1: Well, I've already talked to him about <laughs> that, so we're going to keep that between me and him. But I would tell um, coaches or officials, just talk to each other how you want to be talked to. Because if you talk to somebody like they're a child or they're beneath you, then that's where you're going to have issues. If you don't respect somebody as a person, um, that's when you're going to have issues. Mm-hmm. So I always told coaches, like, you know, how some coaches like to talk with their hands and all this, right? Yeah. So I was working a big game in Wichita and I told the coach, I said, I, I said, hey, put my hand over my mouth like we're having a small, you know, nice yeah. conversation. I said, hey, don't do that because one, you're showing me up. Mm-hmm. Two, it's going to bring the crowd into it, yeah, which it usually does. And three, it's going to cause you a penalty that you
0: necessarily don't want. Mm-hmm. So you essentially said, because every ref is different in how they interpret situations are differently, but you gave him, you communicate with him and said, hey, this is how I would interpret the situation, so let's be positive and proactive and preventing us. So we never get there. Mm-hmm. Did you have to team up that game? No. There you go. No. Seems simple. No. No. Uh, That'll do it for the War Room uh, here on KOKC. It's been a long time since we had one of these long-form conversations on it. Sometimes I just, you know, depending on my mood, I just go 20 minutes with the the person, especially if they've been here four or five times. I just say, all right, let's get caught up and get out of here. But I appreciate uh, you coming in and spending as much time as you did, too, and being as open as you have. Well, I'll definitely come back. Oh, you you have an open invitation. You shoot me a message, and I'll I'll, I'll open the door at three in the morning for you. Cool. All right, all right.
1: I <laughs> don't know about three in the morning, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. But it's been fun. It's been my pleasure, and mm-hmm. thank you for
0: allowing me. Do you do you ever do Jayhawk women?
1: No. So when you do um, college or professional, you usually stick to. Only time they cross is like in the WNBA and NBA. Yeah, because it's the same rules. Okay. Yeah. College men and college women are completely different in rules. Yeah, college women are skeered sh- along with the NBA rules.
0: Yeah, they have quarters and everything like that. Yeah, and
1: double bonus after five and all that.
0: And you can, ad- I believe in college bask, I believe in college women's basketball. You can call timeout to advance the ball in yep. the final two minutes. Yep,
1: yep, same way as the NBA. Whereas mm-hmm. on the men's side, none of that's there. You can't, you can't
0: do that shit. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well. If I see you at a LeBet men's game then next year. Did you ever see LeBet this year? Yes. Okay. Yes. They were pretty good. They were Won good. Won the Jayhawk. They were, good. They were uh, good. What game did you see him at? I don't remember. <laughs> I really, <laughs> That's how I am, too. I, 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 I really
1: don't I, don't. I don't remember the game that I had him. <laughs> but I had uh, him twice.
0: Which means it was probably officiated well because nothing weird came out of it, which would make you remember okay. it. So, oh, Well,
1: I did have a scrimmage. I had their scrimmage when they played Coffeyville. So. Gotcha. They won the Jayhawk. Coffeeville won the national title, so I guess that's I got to right. say So
0: that's awesome. That's right. Uh, if I see you at games next year, obviously you know I'll always say hey to you and everything like that. Once again, congratulations on that honor from the NFHS. That is a a, a truly admirable deal well, uh, to be named thank the you. best boys basketball official in the entire state of Kansas, thank and it's something I think you've earned. Thank you. And
1: well, I'll be over here uh, this coming Thursday. My sons in the
0: track and field meet. So sweet. I'll be, sure to, I'll be sure to shoot the breeze with you then, too. Uh, thank you, Will, for coming on. Uh, as I said about five minutes ago, that'll do it for the War Room here on KLKC. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, everybody stay safe and God bless.